You know, the, the uh, folks all know the lessons are on Jeremiah, and the reading for today's lesson, I was doing my studying in the morning, and I was studying my Sabbath school lesson, and the, the outside reading was uh, the chapter in Great Controversy, The Final Warning. Well, I've read this chapter dozens of times, and even more than that. But you know, it's amazing how uh, every time you read these things, you see things that you never saw before, never thought of before. Different things are impressed upon your mind. And uh, one thing that really I was thinking about more than ever before, you know, uh, we hear uh, this expression, a little time of trouble. And then the great time of trouble. Well, actually, the little time of trouble, as we call it, it's that's what it says, and that's what it's called in... Uh, early writings, the little time of trouble is the real time of trouble for God's people. Probably the greatest trouble that the world's ever seen for God's people will be during the time of the final message, the final warning. And uh, without a doubt, we're going to see martyrs by the millions uh, because there, there's only a small group going through and they're going to be people, all the people are going to be warned, they're going to come out of Babylon. But anyway, what I was thinking about was this statement and uh, this doesn't seem possible now but you see when the, when, the, when the message has power and begins to change people's lives you know the problem we have is that we equate knowing a thing and believing a thing with doing it all the time but it has nothing to do with it the only thing that's effective is what we do and after all we're judged by what? by our works we're judged by our works now we're not saved by works we're saved by faith but if that faith does not work how do you measure faith how, how would you measure faith by yeah by your works there's no other way to measure faith but works if it doesn't work it isn't faith doesn't Peter doesn't James say faith without works is dead and we read these things but they just somehow uh, they're they're like uh, they're like a dream. And I was, uh, I was thinking about these statements where it says families are going to just be demolished, demoralized. Uh, on page 608 it says, Conscientious obedience to the Word of God will be treated as rebellion. Will be what? Blinded by Satan, the parent will exercise harshness and severity toward the, toward the believing child. The mistress, master and mistress will oppress the commandment-keeping servant. Affection will be alienated. Children will be disinherited and driven from home. The words of Paul will be literally fulfilled. All that live godly Christ in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. As the defenders of truth refuse to honor the Sunday Sabbath, some of them will be thrust into prison, some will be exiled, some will be treated as slaves. Well, now, we just don't think that. That just doesn't look possible. We just can't believe. But that's right, that's right on us. Because this is under the final warning. We're now giving the third angel's message. It's never gone with power. It's going with power. And then it's going to be uh, joined by the other angel in Revelation 18. Uh, you remember I read the statement uh, that was written to the people in, in Mountain View, California. It said, you'll be greatly scattered. Some of you will be taken to... 
far off places remote areas it said but there you will have a work for God to do remember that God has to do drastic things to get us to do the things he wants us to do we all settle down in groups and we it's wonderful we're in in institutions and places we don't really have many tests we don't really have many hardships when you really come down and look at it it's not really that bad but we're n because we're not doing what the Lord wants us to do he's going to just as the saying goes he's going to have to lower the boom on us he's going to scatter us he's going to there are people in prison who need the message given to them what so what does the Lord do yes yeah, some of us put in prison there are people who need to hear the message that no else, no way, no one, no way else it could get to them, and so some are in slavery. Some are going to be exiled, and this is right on us. You see, let's face the fact that we are not to live just for the situation we are today. Now we're to live today. We're not to spend our time thinking about tomorrow, but we should be preparing for the eventuality that we know is coming. And then this statement, I was really. Uh, it really impressed me over again. This is on page 609. Christ's ambassadors have nothing to do with consequences. Mm. Have what? Nothing to do with consequences. <laughs> We're not responsible for what happens. We're, they must perform their duty and leave the results with God. We are not responsible for consequences. We just, that has nothing to do with us at all we have no we don't have to be burdened with it all right now uh, anyone have something they want to share with us I still yeah I was reading the last chapter in uh, volume 9 entitled the reward of earnest effort and it's just a real blessing to me. but I'll pick out one special part on page 296 of volume 9 there's a real promise there. It says, There are homes for the pilgrims of earth. There are robes for the righteous, with crowns of glory and palms of riches. But here's a real promise. All that has perplexed us in the providences of God will in the world to come be made plain. The things hard to be understood will then find explanation. The mysteries of grace will unfold before us. Where our finite minds discovered only confusion and broken promises, we shall see the most perfect and beautiful harmony. We shall know that infinite love orders the experiences that seem most kind. As we realize the tender care of Him who makes all things work together for our good, we shall rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And that kind of goes on. Some of us will be put in exile. We won't understand. It says, while education, training, and the counsel of those of experience are all essential, the workers are to be taught that they are not to rely fully upon any man's judgment. All God's free agents, all should ask wisdom of him. When the learner depends wholly upon another's thoughts, accepting his plan, and going no further, he sees only through that man's eyes, and he is so far only an echo of another. Now, what is the purpose of education? What's that? 
the restoration of God in man, to restore in man the image of his maker. Now, what does this, what does this say? What is that? What is that process called? Is that? Yes, it's called redemption. Uh, of course, uh, this is a matter of words, you know, semantics, but uh, what, what do we actually call this process? Yes? That's true, too. <laughs> so you can't read my mind. And this is all character development. Of course, sanctification and justification are process of character development. But character development, remember that development of character is based on action. It's not wishful thinking. It's not desiring. It's not hoping. It's what? It's doing something. We can have the best intentions in the world and never do anything. Well, we could starve to death with good intentions, couldn't we? If you don't want to starve to death, what do you have to do? You have to do something about it. That's all right. That's right. And this is what I see everywhere I go, every, every contact I make. The problem is that people, so many people, have good intentions, good desires, know a lot of things. But the question is, what are we doing about it? What's happening? This is the important thing. You know, uh, we're, uh, we run into cycles. Uh, for years and years we taught, uh, you know, really we were in a salvation by works cycle. Now you can't get salvation by works. There's no question about it. There's no way. It has, whatever we do must be done by the grace of Christ. But it must be done. It must be done. Blessed are they that do His commandments that they may have right. The, we must keep the commandments of God, but we can keep them, so the grace of Christ must keep them through us, but we must keep them. There must be action. Now, so this is the, this is the thing that is important. This is the thing that Christ was, was doing all through His life. It's... We equate, and have equated all of us, most of our lives, we have equated education with the gaining of knowledge and facts, which is not education at all. There, uh, this has to do with it, but anything that I know that does not change my life is of no value. Now, Jesus could have imparted facts. Uh, you're familiar with this statement, I'm sure, on page 448. It says, Christ could have imparted to men knowledge that would have surpassed any previous disclosure and put in the background every other discovery. Could he have made an airplane? Could he have made everything? Could he have, have worked out every invention that we have today? He had all wisdom, all knowledge. He could have unlocked mystery after mystery and could have concentrated around these wonderful revelations, the active, earnest thought of successive generations till the close of time. But he would not spare a moment from teaching the science of salvation. His time, his faculties, and his life were appreciated and used only as the means for working out the salvation of the souls of men. He had come to seek and to save that which was lost, and he would not be turned from his purpose. He allowed nothing to divert him. Christ could have imparted. Christ imparted only that knowledge which could be utilized. What did he only impart? 
something you can use. If you can't use it, you don't need it. It's of no value. His instruction of the people was confined to the needs of their own condition in practical life. The curiosity that led them to come to him with prying questions he did not gratify. All such questions he made the occasions for earnest, solemn, vital appeals to those who were so eager to pluck from the tree of knowledge he offered the fruit of the tree of life. They found every avenue closed except the way that leads to God. Every fountain was sealed save the fountain of eternal life. Our Savior did not encourage any to attend the rabbinical schools of his day. You know what the reason was? He did not encourage any to attend the rabbinical schools of his day for the reason that their minds would be corrupted by the, with the continually repeated, they say or it has been said. How much do we get in school of what they say or it has been said? Why then? Now he said that he, he didn't encourage anybody because their minds would be what? Corrupted by what people say. This is amazing. Why then should we accept the unstable words of men as exalted wisdom when a greater a certain wisdom is at our command? That which I have seen of eternal things and, and that which I have seen of the weakness of humanity has deeply impressed my mind and influenced my life work. I see nothing wherein man should be praised or glorified. I see no reason why the opinions of worldly wise men and so-called great men should be trusted in and exalted. How can those who are destitute of divine light, enlightenment have correct ideas of God's plans and ways? They either deny him altogether and ignore his existence, or they circumscribe his power by their own finite conceptions. Let us choose to be taught by him who created the heavens and the earth, by him who set the stars in their order in the firmament and appointed the sun and the moon to do their work. That's page 449. Now, in we've, the next chapter, Seeking True Knowledge, we won't spend any time on it. This is the chapter that has that there's a science of Christianity to be mastered. We're all going to have a master's degree in Christianity if we escape the seven last plagues. And this, I just want to bring to our minds, I hope you've read these things, we must turn from a thousand topics that invite attention. We must what? Jesus only imparted that knowledge which what? You see, we are limited in character development by time. It takes time to develop character. And if we're doing those things that fail to develop the right character, we are cutting ourselves off in our enjoyment for all eternity of the things that God has prepared for us. This is why we must all set priorities. You understand what I'm talking about? We must have priorities. There are just a lot of things that we don't have time to do. There are things that, that would be perfectly good if it were not the circumstances and the conditions in which we are in.
You see, if I'm out on a lake and a storm comes up and my boat turns over, there are just a lot of things that aren't important that I know. But there's one thing real important that I need to know, and what's that? How to swim. That's exactly right. Everything else is unimportant. I heard a little story one time about three men that were out. They had a guide that were out in the wilderness. And it's kind of a silly story, but it has a point to it. And, and these men had this guide who was naturally used to the living out in the wilds. And so they were talking to him. And one of them was a, was a history major. And he said to the man, he said, uh, have you ever studied history? And he said, no, I haven't studied history. He said, well, you missed half your life. And the other fellow was a English major. He, told, he says, have you studied English? He said, no, I don't know much about English. Well, he says, you missed half your life. And the other man was a music major, and he said, do you know much about music? And he said, no, I don't know much about music. Well, he said, you missed half your life. And just about that time, a storm came up and really began to blow. And he said, say, gentlemen, do you know how to swim? And they said, no. Well, he said, I'm sorry, but you may have missed all your life. Now, you understand what I'm talking about? There are times and there are priorities. And we're living in a time when we are to get a preparation for the storm. Is that what it says? Have you read that? I appreciated this comment on volume 9. You know, uh, this is... Uh, we need to read the, the, the testimonies. I wish all of us would read the testimonies through. There's something... Real special in these. Well, anyway, uh, in volume 8, page 315, a storm is coming relentless in its fury. A what? Well, now, do you think that's true or isn't it? Is that just talk? A storm is coming relentless in its fury. Are we prepared to meet it? We need not say the perils of the last days are soon to come upon us already. They have come. We need now the sword of the Spirit to cut to the very soul of fleshly lusts, appetites, and passions. Well, so we must turn from a thousand topics that invite attention. We're going to have to study those things that are important. There, there are matters that consume time and arouse inquiry but end in nothing. The highest interests demand the close attention and energy that are so often given to comparatively insignificant things. Then the section, God, uh, knowledge received through God's Word. Now we get to the chapter that we were going to study. There, there are these four chapters, and we just can barely touch them. This whole section on help and daily living. I hope you folks will read this, or the workers need. And this is the chapter, Help and Daily Living. Uh, I'm just going to sketch a few things in this. There is an eloquence far more powerful than the eloquence of words in the quiet, consistent life of a pure, true Christian. What a man is has more influence than what he says. What is it?
What we are is more important than what we say. I was in a garage one time out in Denver, Colorado. I have a hobby of, of, of collecting sayings. Uh, anything that really is, is really uh, that uh, makes me think. And uh, on the service department, there was a little sign on the bottom. The words well done are much better than the words well said. You see, it isn't talking about your car that gets it done and makes it run. What is it? It's what you do to it. The officers who were sent to, to Jesus, who were sent to Jesus, came back with a report that never man spake as he spake. But the reason was what? Never man lived as he lived. Had his life been other than it was, he could not have spoken as he did. His words bore with them a convincing power because they came from a heart pure and holy, full of love and sympathy, benevolence and truth. It is our own character and experience that determine our influence upon others. In order to convince others of the power of Christ's grace, we must know its power in our own hearts and lives. The gospel we present for the saving of souls must be the gospel by which our own souls are saved. Now, there's a section, the discipline of trial. We've discussed this so much, I, I don't like to spend much more time with it. But most people are running from the things they need. We need the circumstances that God sends and we are always trying our best to get out of them. This says, Many who sincerely consecrate their lives to God's service are surprised and disappointed to find themselves as never before confronted by obstacles and beset by trials and perplexities. They pray for Christ-like of character, for a fitness for the Lord's work, and they are, they are placed in circumstances that seem to call forth the evil of their nature. Have you ever had that experience? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. That's page 470. We, call, we ask for Christ-likeness of character, and then what does the Lord send us? The circumstances that show us what we are so we can do something about it. Faults are revealed of which they did not even suspect the existence. Like Israel of old, they question, if God is leading us, why do all these things come upon us? It is because God is leading them that these things come upon them. It is what? Trials and obstacles are the Lord's chosen methods of discipline, His appointed conditions of success. I just read a book Sabbath afternoon. I... Uh, I don't usually recommend books outside of inspired books, but I, you would all do well to read this book. It's, uh, it's written, it's the last book that Carlisle B. Haynes wrote, and it's called God Sent a Man. I don't know if you ever read it or not. But this book is, uh, is right to the point. All the way through, it just teaches one lesson, and that is that God is leading in our lives and overruling all for good. It's a real interesting book. All right? He sees that he who reads the hearts of men knows their character better than they themselves know them. He sees that some have powers and susceptibilities which rightly directed might be used in advancement of his work. In his providence, he brings these persons into different positions and varied circumstances 
that they may discover in their character the defects which have been concealed from their own knowledge. He gives them opportunity to correct these defects and to fit themselves for his service. Often he permits the fires of affliction to assail them that they may be purified. You know the time is coming very soon when it says the straight testimony is going to be revived. Do you know what the straight testimony is? I don't know if I can find the statement in here or not. But uh, volume two, I had a real interesting experience with this. I don't know if I, if I can even find it. But uh, it's in volume two. And uh, it was when we, we were having the, uh, this testimony countdown. And uh, I was in Loveland, Colorado, and I went to the meeting, and I hadn't, I hadn't studied what they were studying. And so they were asking questions, and I didn't remember any questions because it's been a long time since I'd read the particular testimony. But uh, I was reading uh, while they were going over this about uh, the testimony, and I'll tell you, I ran into some things that I was, I was really shocked at. And it was a story of Ellen G. White. It may be volume one. I don't remember. But anyway, I'll tell you the experience and if you want to look it up. Ellen G. White was traveling around in Michigan visiting the churches. And the Lord would give her visions regarding specific people and things they were doing. And she would get up in the church when she went to this church and she would relate these experiences publicly. And it was really something, I tell you. <laughs> People either cleaned up or cleaned out real quick. There wasn't any, there wasn't any waste of time. But the experience that particularly uh, just intrigued me. There was a woman that was supposed to be a have special messages from the Lord, and uh, she got up and rebuked her publicly in church and told her some of her faults. Well, now, this is pretty hard to take, you know. It, uh, it, it, was, it was really something. But after all, isn't that what Jeremiah was doing to the king and all the people of Israel? He was telling them exactly what the problem was. And what did they do? Well, they wanted to kill him. Well, anyway, she was telling this woman, and then the woman and her husband came the next day, and they said, now, you didn't follow out my Matthew 18, where... Uh, it says that if you have any ought against your brother, you should go to him alone. And Elder White got up and rebuked this woman and said, uh, well, that doesn't apply. My wife is God's messenger. And she has nothing against you. She's merely telling you. And then the woman said, well, you told all these things in public. And Ellen G. White says, my sister, didn't you know that everybody already knew it but you? <laughs> I was pretty shocked at that. She just says plainly, she said, everybody knew all about these things but you, and I was just telling you about it. Well, uh, it says the straight testimony is going to be revived. Now, I don't know what's involved in this, 
But you know, if we if we really if we really loved the Lord and loved each other, we would be we would be talking very straight to each other in the difficulties that we have. The Lord is trying to help us to know ourselves. Well, this says He gives them opportunity to correct these defects and to fit themselves for service. Often he permits the fires of affliction to assail them that they may be purified. The fact that we are called upon to endure trials shows that the Lord Jesus sees in us something precious which he desires to develop. If he saw nothing in us whereby he might glorify his name, he would not spend time in refining us. He does not cast worthless stones into his furnace. One of the interesting statements in the Gospel Workers, I wish you'd all read this chapter. It's a real short one. It's only about three pages. And it starts on page 269, and it's entitled, How God Trains His Workers. And I'll tell you, it's, well, it's just two pages, in fact. I won't read much. I'll read one paragraph. There are many who are not satisfied to serve God cheerfully in the place that He has marked out for them or to do uncomplainingly the work He has placed in their hands. What are the two things? So notice this now. There are many who are not satisfied to serve God. How? Cheerfully in the place that he has marked out for them or to do uncomplainingly the work that he has placed in their hands. You know what Christ's object lesson says sanctification is, don't you? We talk a lot about sanctification and I'm just reading statements that I know you're all familiar with. <coughs> 360 Let a living faith run through the threads of gold, run like threads of gold through the performance of even the smallest duties. Christ's object lesson three sixty. Then all the daily will daily work will promote Christian growth. There will be a continual looking unto Jesus. Love for Him will give vital force to everything that is undertaken. Thus, through the right use of our talents, we may link ourselves by a golden chain to the higher world. This is true sanctification. For sanctification consists in the cheerful performance of daily duties and perfect obedience to the will of God. What's sanctification? Perfect. What kind of performance? Perfect. Doesn't say perfect. It says what? Cheerful. cheerful. All right, cheerful. Somebody says, you're going to do this and you like it. And they said, I'm going to do it, but I'm not going to like it, you know. Cheerful performance. But many Christians are waiting for some great work to be brought to them. For what? Because they cannot find a place large enough to satisfy their ambition, they fail to perform faithfully the common duties of life. These seem to them uninteresting. Day by day they let slip opportunities for showing their faithfulness to God. While they are waiting for some great work, 
life passes away, its purposes unfulfilled, its work unaccomplished. Now back to, Christ, to gospel workers, this one paragraph. There are many who are not satisfied to serve God cheerfully in the place that he has marked out for them or to do uncomplainingly the work he has placed in their hands. It is right to be dissatisfied with the way in which we perform our duty, but we are not to be satisfied with the duty itself because we'd rather do something else. In his providence, God places before human beings service that will be as medicine to their diseased minds. As what? You know why there's, all, there's always uh, people talk about taking medicine? Well, medicine is not usually good. You don't usually like to take it. Of course, they make sugar-coated pills, you know. And, but there's a lot of medicine that isn't pleasant to take. But God puts before us, what? Service that will be as medicine to our diseased minds. Thus he seeks to lead them to put aside the selfish preference, which if gratified would disqualify them for the work he has for them. If they accept and perform this service, their minds will be cured. If they refuse it, they will be left at strife with themselves and others. Now, I don't know about you folks. Of course, I, I'm the oldest person here, and I've been around quite a while. And the Lord has called me at a lot of different kind of work. But, you know, he never has really called me to do what I wanted to do. Now, after I got to doing it, I enjoyed it, and it was a real blessing in it, but he, the things he's always called me to do, I didn't want to do. It wasn't what I would have chosen. But I know it was his... I know he chose it for me. And I have an idea that what you and I are going to be facing between now and the end of this world's history is not exactly what we would choose for ourselves. What do you think? You think it is? then we'd better get used to what? Doing what is our duty. Do you remember the statement it says about the Apostle Paul? Every day he had a conflict between his duty and his inclination. Every day. But he chose to do his duty. Do you ever have problems between your duty and your inclination? That's a lifelong struggle. And we're all going to have it. All right? There's a very, there's a very interesting uh, illustration here. The potter takes the clay and molds it according to his will. He kneads it and works it. He tears it apart and presses it together. He wets it and then dries it. <laughs> you what? He lets it lie for a while without touching it. When it is perfectly pliable, he continues the work of making of it a vessel. He forms it in shape, and on the wheel trims and polishes it. He dries it in the sun and bakes it in the oven. Thus it becomes a vessel fit 
for his use. So the great master worker desires to mold and fashion us. And as clay is in the hands of the potter, so are we to be in his hands. We are not to try to do the work of the potter. Our work is to yield ourselves to be molded by the master worker. Then there's a little, another illustration about the birds. You've all heard that. In the full light of day, in the hearing of the music of other voices, the caged bird will not sing the song that his master seeks to teach him. He learns a snatch of this, a trill of that, but never a separate entire melody. But the master covers the cage and places it where the bird will listen to the one song he is to sing. In the dark he tries and tries again to sing that song until it is learned and he breaks forth into perfect melody. Then the bird is brought forth and ever after he can sing the song in the light. Thus, God deals with his children. He has a song to teach us. And when we have learned it amid the shadows of affliction, we can sing it ever afterward. And what are we, what are we learning? Are we all going to have a song? We're all going to have a solo part in the, in, the, in the song of Moses and the Lamb. Did you know that? We probably have a chorus together, but there's a special part that we can all sing that nobody else can sing. You know, here we all sing all the same songs. You know, it would be a strange congregational singing if a person only sang those things they really meant and what they didn't mean they didn't sing. Do you think we ever sing a lie? Think that's possible? Well, we're not going to sing a lie in heaven. We're going to sing the song of our experience. And our experience is going to be different. I'm going to, I'll have special experiences in this life nobody else will ever have. I'm different. And you'll have experiences no one else will ever have. And we're going to have a long time to sing them. Many are dissatisfied with their life work. It may be that their surroundings are uncongenial, their time is occupied with commonplace work when they think themselves capable of higher responsibility. Often their efforts seem to them to be unappreciated or fruitless. Their future is uncertain. Does that sound like an echo? Let us remember that while the work we have to do may not be our choice, it is to be accepted as God's choice for us. Whether pleasing or unpleasing, we are to do the duty that lies near us. Then it goes on, whether pleasing or unpleasing, we are to do the duty that lies near us. Then it goes on and tells about God's plans. And... Uh, Talk about, uh, there's a story about Moses and how God directed him. Moses thought that he, had, at 40 years old, he was ready for his life work. He went down to the land of Goshen. And what did he do? 
He killed an Egyptian. And he wanted his people to realize his, uh, that he was with them and not with the Egyptians. And of course, he was 40 years ahead of his time. And he was 40 years ahead of his training. And so because of this circumstance, he went to Midian. This was quite an experience for a man who was, who was in training for to be the pharaoh of Egypt. If he was in line for it, he would have been the pharaoh. To uh, herd sheep was quite a come down, wasn't it? I imagine he had some hard experiences. What do you think? But you know what he did? He herded sheep till he liked it. And when the Lord called him to go back to Egypt, he didn't want to go. He wanted to herd sheep the rest of his life. Let's realize, all of us, that God is responsible and in charge of our lives, and He is the one who makes arrangements for promotions for everything that comes. Very interesting statement. It says, Let those who feel that their work is not appreciated and who crave a position of, of greater responsibility consider that promotion cometh neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south. But God is judge. He put it down one, set it up another. Every man has his place in the eternal plan of heaven. Whether we fill that place depends upon our own faithfulness in cooperating with God. Many are unable to make definite plans for the future. That's a real sticker, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Many are what? Can't make any plans for your future. Should we? Huh? Should we? Well, it says many are unable to. <laughs> Their life is unsettled. They cannot discern the outcome of affairs, and this often fills them with anxiety and unrest. <laughs> Let us remember that the life of God's children in this world is a pilgrim life. We have not wisdom to plan our own lives. It is not for us to shape our future. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, went out not knowing whither he went. You know, it would be pretty silly now to start out not knowing where you were going, wouldn't it? There would be just, there's just one problem. What's that? If, if you know the Lord's leading, there's no problem. There's a problem if we just start out and we're not sure the Lord's leading us. Then these two paragraphs, they're really, these are really, really something. Christ in his life on earth made no plans for himself. He accepted God's plans for him, and day by day the Father unfolded his plans. So should we depend upon God that our lives may be the simple outworking of his will. Maybe what? As we commit our ways to Him, He will direct our steps. 
Too many in planning for a brilliant future make an utter failure. Let God plan for you. As a little child, trust to the guidance of him who will keep the saints. God never leads his children otherwise than they would choose to be led if they could see the end from the beginning and discern the glory of the purpose which they are fulfilling as co-workers with him. Now, I don't know the future. I don't know what's going to happen in 15 minutes. Probably be in class unless something drastic happens. But we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. We haven't the slightest idea. But, if I let, will let God lead my life, I have the privilege of doing what I would do if I could see the end of the beginning. Isn't that something? God loves me, and He has taken enough time in my case to plan my future and the future I would have planned had I been in His place. That ought to take a lot of anxiety out of life, shouldn't it? Now the next question is, when Christ called His disciples to follow Him, He offered them no flattering prospects in this life. He gave them no promise of gain or worldly honor, nor did they make any stipulation as to what they should receive. Only once in my life do I ever remember stipulating what I was to get on a job. And I felt bad about that. It didn't happen very, happened not so long ago. Several months ago I was out in Oregon and a woman wanted me to make uh, some cabinets for her. And she said, well, would you, would you tell me about what it is? I said, well, I don't know. Well, she wanted to know, so I estimated the... Uh, the cost and labor and the cost and material. And uh, it took a little longer to do than I thought it would. I told her it would be so much an hour. And so I said, well, all right, uh, we'll just finish it up and we won't charge you for it. Because I, uh, I missed, she had several things that I hadn't planned to do, but that's the only time I ever remember uh, telling people what it would, what it would cost them for work. You know, uh, if we really trusted the Lord and believed that He would do what's right for us, He would many times do better for us than we do for ourselves. Did you know that? Several years ago we were out in California and my daughter and her girlfriend were there and we were all working and uh, my wife who passed away later was in her terminal illness and so I was doing some work and, and I went, 
the fellow that made a job for me and I went to work on it and I, I didn't ask him how much he would give me. I didn't say anything about it. And the girls came to me and they were going to work in a nursing home and they said, uh, well, one of the, not my daughter, but the other girl says, well, Brother Martin says, do you think I, we should tell them what we want? I said, no, I don't think I would. I said, I just go to work and do the best you can and see what happens. Well, it was very interesting. The, uh, uh, when the man paid me, he, he paid me more than I expected to get. And he apologized to me. He said, I'm sorry. He said, I can't afford to pay any more than that. I'd like to pay you more. And I said, well, that's all right. And when the girls came, they were really excited. They said, you know what happened? said, they always start people out there at a certain wage. Says, of course, we expected to get that. But said, when the woman came to us at the end of the week and said, you girls are so happy and so encouraging and helping everybody, that we start you right out of top wages. I don't believe we have to be concerned. In fact, I don't think that we have to... I don't think that's the main consideration. I don't know what my future holds. Of course, I, I'm supposed to be retired, and, uh, but I'm going out and do some work some of these days. In fact, I do work now. I just went over to home. Uh, we went a couple weeks ago, and I took some things over to go build some cabinets for a woman in the community who has... Uh, there, there are two women there and they're doing all the work themselves it's quite interesting what they're doing in their home it's a pretty an old ramshackle house and so I told them I'd do some cabinets but anyway I've, I've made up my mind that when I work from here on out no matter what the circumstances is I'm not going to charge anybody anything I'm just going to be interested to see what happens so just say no I just I just want to do something to help you what do you think would happen it's very interesting uh, what people do some people really take advantage of it but most people want to give you more than you charge them. And it's an altogether different attitude when you do that. Did you know that? People just don't understand it. After all, we're coming very soon to the time when if we're Christians, money isn't going to be worth anything to us. You know why? We discussed that, you know. This is the only place in the universe where people buy or sell, you know. You can't buy anything in heaven. If you go out traveling through the universe, you couldn't buy anything. There's nothing for sale. If you want something, you know what probably happened? They'd probably give it to you. And the final examination for finishing God's work is going to be able to work in this world without wages, without money, without the use of money. It's going to be a very interesting experience. Do you believe that or is that, just, is that too strong? Is that really going to happen? Because the law is going to be passed if we if we keep God's commandments, we can't do what? We can't buy our sal. Well, yes. What do you think would happen if a call for went out? I don't know. I, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, someday I'm going to have nerve to try a lot of things that I have never had nerve to try. 
We ran a restaurant up in Grand Rapids for several years and didn't charge anybody anything. Yeah. We just wanted to experiment. And uh, so uh, we said, well, we're not going to charge anybody. We just put a donation box up. And it was just about the time that the uh, uh, youth movement in interest in natural foods began to develop. My daughter was cooking up there and, and we were they we were serving probably 25 or 30 people a day and it began to go up and up and up till we got up to 175 people. And we weren't charging anything and, and not many of them were, were putting anything in the box. And we didn't know what to do because we couldn't afford to take care of all this so we said, well, we'll pray about it. And what do you think happened? Well, we were making a cereal called Almond Delight. And every week the sales doubled until it got up to we were sending, selling 10,000 pounds a month. And the cereal business more than took care of all the expenses in the restaurant. We operated several years that way. Later, folks decided that they wanted to charge and so we did, but it's never been the same. Now, people will take advantage of it. Some people take advantage. But it has an influence on people. And we make no charge for our care for patients or for treatments in our medical program. And it's very interesting what happens. I don't believe we, I don't believe we ever lose anything by any, giving anything. Do you think we really do? I think it's because we don't have we don't have courage or faith to try it. I, I think that I think we'd see marvelous things happen if we'd start doing things like that. I've had many many interesting experiences. I lived most of my life. Nobody ever gave me anything. I mean, I nobody gave me anything. I I took care of myself. I earned my expenses. I took care of my family. I made enough money so I could take care of things. I'd go on a trip, and if something happened to the car, why, uh, I'd have to borrow money and get it fixed and spend the rest of my life <laughs> of the year making it up, and I never got anything. But you know, when I really began to work for God and begin to give things to other people, the most amazing things to began to happen. I could just tell you stories by the hour. It's unbelievable what happens. The Lord would the Lord would send us the Lord would send the money before before it ever happened or before he even needed it. He just does those things. I can just tell you story after story after story. I was I was driving a Volkswagen bus. I'll just tell you one story. I was driving a, driving a Volkswagen bus uh, going down to Pine Forest Academy when my daughter was down there, and I started out and they had an old. We had two of them, and the one they had, I was sure something was going to happen to it, and I was following them, but what happened, the one I had blew up. The motor just went out, and they they went on, didn't see me, and so here I was, down the edge of Alabama. And so uh, I had it towed into a place, and they wanted $350 to put a motor in it, and so I was close to an old friend of mine that I'd worked with, and I called him up. I said, well, I'm going to be here a little while. I'll come down and see you. And he said, well, what are you doing? I said, well, I had a little problem with the car. And 
He said, well, what are you going to do? I said, well, I don't know. I guess I'm going to get a motor. And so I got the motor and I went by to see him. And I, had a, I had enough money to take care of it, but that was all I had. I didn't have any, any more. And I stopped by and talked to him a little bit. He said, well, how'd you get out? How'd you get along with your motor? I said, well, okay, I put a motor in it. So we talked a little bit and he said, well, wait a minute. I'll, uh, and he went back and he came back and he handed me something. He says, here, take this along with you. And well, I didn't look at it right then. I took it along with me. And when I got out, I looked at it and it was a check for $500. And uh, the Lord's able to take care of us. But if we make remuneration our first principle of doing things, do you know what will happen? We'll get that, but that's all we'll get. When Christ calls his disciples to follow him, he offered them no flattering prospects in this life. He gave them no promise of gain or worldly honor, nor did he make any stipulation as to what they should receive. To Matthew, as he sat at the seat of custom, the Savior said, Follow me. And he left all, rose up, and followed him. Matthew did not, before rendering service, wait to demand a salary equal to the amount received in his former occupation. Without question or hesitation, he followed Jesus. It was enough for him that he was to be with the Savior, that he might hear his words and unite with him in his work. So it was with the disciples previously called. When Jesus bade Peter and his companions follow him, immediately they left their boats and nets. Some of these disciples had friends dependent on them for support, but when they received the Savior's invitation, they did not hesitate and inquire, How shall I live and sustain my family? They were obedient to the call, and when afterward Jesus asked them, When I sent you out without purse and script and shoes, lacked ye anything? They could answer nothing. Today the Savior calls us as he called Matthew and John and Peter to his work. If our hearts are touched by his love, the question of compensation will not be uppermost in our minds. We shall rejoice to be co-workers with Christ, and we shall not fear to trust His care. If we make God our strength, we shall have clear perceptions of duty, unselfish aspirations. Our life will be actuated by a noble purpose which will rise, raise us above sordid motives. Many who profess to be Christ's followers have an anxious, troubled heart because they are afraid to trust themselves with God. They do not make a complete surrender to Him for they shrink from the consequences that such a surrender may involve. Unless they do make this surrender, they cannot find peace. There are many whose hearts are aching under a load of care because they seek to reach the world's standard. They have chosen its service, accepted its perplexities, adopted its customs. Thus their character is marred and their life made a weariness. This continual worry is wearing out the life forces. Our Lord desires them to lay aside this yoke of bondage. He invites them to accept His yoke. He says, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Worry is blind and cannot see the future, cannot discern the future, but Jesus sees the end from the beginning. In every difficulty, He has His way prepared to bring relief. 
No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Our Heavenly Father has a thousand ways to provide for us of which we know nothing. Has what? A thousand How many? A thousand. How many does it take? One. Those who accept the one principle of making the service of God supreme will find perplexities vanish in the plain path before their feet. Well, one, I had a very interesting experience. I was up in Michigan and a man that had worked with me down in Madison before Madison closed was working and he was out working. He was a cabinet maker and he wasn't having a good experience. He was, he lost his family and, and uh, he just wasn't, wasn't making it spiritually. So I went down and talked to him and I invited him to come up to our place and I said, why don't you come up and join us? We'd like to help you. Well, he said he didn't know. He said he'd think about it. He said, come back and see me. So I came back and saw him. And he said, well, he said, you don't pay any wages up there. I said, well, no, we really don't. Well, he says, you know what happens when uh, you need a car? I said, well, the Lord will take care of it. He said, well, now, supposing that uh, I want to take a vacation. He said, what in the world would I do? He said, where would I get the money? I said, well, did you take a vacation last year? He said, no. And you didn't take one the year before. I said, what happened? He said, well, I couldn't afford it. <laughs> I said, that's interesting, isn't it? <laughs> I said, I've already crossed the continent three times this year. <laughs> I said, uh, it's interesting, self-supporting people travel more than anybody I know. But he just couldn't, he just couldn't do it because it was, he just didn't see how it would work out. Well, most people are mortgaged for the foreseeable future anyway. Did you know that? A lot of people want to go into God's service. Do you know what the problem is? They're in debt. They're mortgaged. That's right. The Lord, the Lord can take care of all those things. I'll tell you one more experience. This might interest you. You know, when... My family left Idaho. We had a home out there, and I sold it, and uh, we had a balance of $4,000 on it. And uh, I decided that when I sold it to them that I wouldn't charge them any interest on the money. And people said, well, you're crazy. I said, but the Bible says that we should not charge usury to a brother. And so I said, I, I just... I don't think I should charge interest. And I told them, and well, they appreciated it. But you know, it was very interesting. They paid off about $500 of it, and the husband and wife broke up, and I didn't get any more money. And here was $3,500. And this bothered me. It bothered my wife very much. And I never said anything. And about seven or eight years went by. Never got anything at all. And then, my former wife, she... She had terminal cancer. And we were out in California. We came back and I wanted to spend some time in Southern California where it was warm, where the climate was good and she could have fresh food, fresh fruits. And But I didn't have any money. I'd been in self-supporting work most all my life. And you don't accumulate anything. So I, I prayed. I said, Lord, now, I can go out and work and I can make money and I can support 
myself and my family and anything I need? Or if you don't want me to do that, you want me to stay in this work? Why? I need some help. I never said anything to anybody. And uh, I also told the Lord, I said, now you know I, I, I uh, sold this property and I, I followed the instruction that you gave me that I was really sincere in it. I didn't charge them any interest and I never even got the principal. They still owed me $3,500. Well, a few days went by and this was the end of the year and I got a telephone call. And uh, when I answered the phone, it was an old friend of mine that I'd worked with years before in self-sporting work and he'd left self-sporting work and he was, he'd gone out, he'd made a lot of money, but he'd lost his way spiritually and uh, he was on the phone. I hadn't heard from him for a long time. And he, when he answered the phone, he said, Ralph, he said, you need some money. I said, what makes you say that? He said, well, I just know you need some money. He said, uh, I want to help you some. He said, uh, I've been making some money. And he said, uh, I want to do something for you. I said, well, if you want to, it's all right. He said, I'm putting a check in the mail for you. And how much do you think it was for? $3,500. $3,500. Is the Lord able to serve? Now those things don't happen very often, you know. But I know from my own personal experience, and I can tell you many, many, hundreds of stories, really hundreds of stories, the Lord is able to supply our needs. And if we make His work first, He will see that every need is supplied. He'll see that we have everything that we need, everything that's necessary for us. Well, well, he's even supplied my wants. Let us be hopeful and courageous. Despondency in God's service is sinful and unreasonable. What is? He knows our every necessity. To the omnipotence of the King of Kings, our covenant-keeping God unites the gentleness and care of a tender shepherd. His power is absolute and it is the pledge of the sure fulfillment of His promise to, of His promises to all who put their trust in Him. He has the means for the removal of every difficulty that those who serve in Him and respect the means He employs may be sustained. His love is as far above all other love as the heavens are above the earth. He watches over His children children with a love that is measureless and everlasting. In the darkest days when appearances seem most forbidding, have faith in God. He is working out His will, doing all things well in behalf of His people. The strength of those who love and serve Him will be renewed day by day. He is able and willing to bestow upon his servants all the help they need. He will give them the wisdom that their, which their very necessities demand. Said the tried Apostle Paul, He said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasures in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Well, we just got through that one chapter. <clears throat>
And I just, in the next one, there's one more paragraph that I'd like to close with. On page 488, if you do not feel lighthearted and joyous, do not talk of your feelings. If what? Don't, don't, don't Cast no shadow upon the lives of others. A cold, sunless religion never draws souls to Christ. It drives them away from him into the nets that Satan has prepared, has spread for the feet of the straying. Instead of thinking of your discouragements, think of the power you can claim in Christ's name. Let your imagination take hold upon things unseen. Let your thoughts be directed to the evidences of the great love of God for you. Faith can endure trial, resist temptation, bear up under disappointment. Jesus lives as our advocate. All is ours that his mediation secures. Then talk of the promises. Talk of Jesus' willingness to bless. He does not forget us for one brief moment. When notwithstanding disagreeable circumstances, we rest confidingly in his love and shut ourselves in with him, the sense of his presence will inspire a deep, tranquil joy. Of himself Christ said, I can do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things, and he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. Now this paragraph, still have just a little time. I read it once, but I want to read it again. We read it last time, but this is one of the most tremendous promises. The Father's presence encircled Christ. And nothing befell him but that which infinite love permitted for the blessing of the world. What encircled Christ? The Father's love. The Father's presence encircled Christ. His presence. Here was his source of comfort and it is for us. He who is imbued with the Spirit of Christ abides in Christ. Whatever comes to him comes from the Savior who surrounds him with his presence. Who surrounds the Savior with his presence? God. And the Savior surrounds us with his presence. Then how many do we have around us? We have the Father and the Son. Nothing can touch us except by the Lord's permission. If we would just believe that. That what? Nothing can touch us except by the Lord's permission. All our sufferings and sorrows, all our temptations and trials, all our sadnesses and griefs, all our persecutions and privations, in short, all things work together for our good. All experiences and circumstances are God's workmen whereby good is brought to us. I'll tell you, I want to remember that, don't you? Above the distractions of earth, God sits enthroned. All things are open to his divine survey and from his great and calm eternity he orders that which his providence sees best. Well, let's go on with this. The rest of this book we'll finish up. We'll just, we just sketch it a little for our next class which will be the last. We'd like to pray. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. 
If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.